Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. God, thank you so much for this day that we have together to gather in your presence as a community, as a people who are seeking after you to be shaped and to be molded and to be formed in your ways. Father, this morning as we dive into your word, as we dive into this Lord's Prayer, as we take another snippet out of it and really kind of dig our hands into the soil of what it is that you would have for us to hear and to know and to learn and to be. Father, may we be prepared for your word. So, Father, this morning, we lift this up to you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Our kiddos can head back with Mr. Kent William. He's got some fun stuff for you, if you want. <laughs> there they go. There they go. As we step into this week of uprising, as we step into this portion of the Lord's Prayer, it begins, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This is a really difficult prayer. It's a really difficult line within the scope of the Lord's Prayer, a portion of his prayer, of his teaching on how to pray. In fact, the reason why it feels so difficult to me is because it's so conditional. It's so conditional. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us as we. It's such a conditional sort of prayer that we offer up in this space and in this midst. And my question for us today that I kind of want you to hold in tension as we walk through this segment of the prayer is, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a friend that betrayed you or a friend that let loose some sort of secret in the midst of your life and they hurt you and they wounded you in such a way that you're like, "Ah, no, I don't know if I really am ready to forgive them just yet. Or perhaps it was a coworker that threw you under the bus and you didn't really have anything to do with what was going on, but all of a sudden now... Now you are the one that is taking the brunt of the heat at work. Or perhaps it's a boss, a boss that just continues to put them under your thumb, or put, put, you, you find yourself residing underneath their thumb in this sort of like painful existence. You're like, I just, my boss is killing me, and I'm not really sure I'm ready to forgive them for what it is that they continue to do to me. Perhaps it's your parents or it's an ex, or it's members of your family. Who do you need to forgive? I was 26 years old, and I had been married for about four years at this time, and I was the pastor of a church that had found themselves in this space of tremendous turmoil. This church that was 
quite literally felt like it was imploding, like the, 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 the ground underneath was not only shifting and moving, but was beginning to crumble underneath our feet. The church had just recently been a victim of arson, a massive fire that consumed a portion of the property, and all of a sudden there was this great sense of what is happening here. The senior pastor, just a few months before this, had just been fired for numerous acts of indiscretion. The church was absolutely reeling. It was on its heels. It was back in a space of pain and of problem and of frustration and of turmoil. It was reeling. I sat in my office on this particular day, and I was working on a sermon like you do, right? Like, I was in your office, right? I'm writing, and I'm spending time there in that space. And as I'm writing this message, as I'm in there, all of a sudden, this, this loud bit of shouting starts to happen on the outside of the office and kind of the foyer area of the church, and as I sat there working and I, I kind of peeked and, 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 and heard my, I, 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 I peeked my ears to hear kind of and, and tune in on what the shouting was all about when I heard as clear as day, I'm going to kill him. I, I sat there in this space kind of wondering what on earth, and then I recognized the voice. I'm going to kill him. I I recognized exactly who it was. Just a few weeks after that, our house was broken into. The front door was left wide open. The back door was left wide open in the midst of our home. We, We had returned back from a weekend trip down to Tracy's parents, and we had come home, and the entire space was completely wide open. We arrived home at probably about 10, 11 o'clock at night. It was a late evening when the doors were wide open. Called the police, they showed up. But after I had already walked through the house, flipping on every single light, checking every single closet, checking every single nook and cranny that I could possibly think was in this house to make sure that there wasn't anyone still in the house. The police arrived and they filed a report. A couple of weeks after this, the senior pastor, who was the one that had come in saying, I'm going to kill him, the former senior pastor of this church, was arrested on possession of gun charges and for wielding this gun at campers at a campsite. Things felt extremely difficult. They felt extremely frustrated. The FBI and the local police all got involved in this, and I'll never forget the day that, again, I was sitting in my office getting ready for Sunday morning worship when I walk in the door and sitting around the table was an FBI agent and a sergeant from the local police department. As I sat there in this space, as I walked into this kind of strange-looking Space, this strange looking scene. They sat down and they said, Hey, the threats that you have been giving, the threats that you have received, 
the threats that other members of the congregation have also been experiencing, we, we think they're actually really valid threats. We think that there's something here, and we're here this morning to protect you and the congregation. Oh, okay, great. Uh, what does that mean? Well, we're going to position a police officer out front of the building to make sure that he doesn't get in. But if for some reason he does get past him, I'll be here at the door to the sanctuary. And I will not hesitate. If he does not stand down, I will not hesitate to put a bullet in his head. Oh, okay. So go get him, preacher. (laughs) Huh. All right. I gathered my notes and I collected everything that I possibly could in that moment as, as, as much as possible. And I sat there with kind of my jaw on the floor, not really knowing or expecting what was going to happen next. I had no idea. But as the service began to progress and as I made my way to the front of the stage and as I had a, a music stand in front of me, With all of my notes, I kept my eyes completely fixed on the back door. My hands were gripped around the music stand as much as possible to try and give me some sense of shielding, some sense of comfort, some sense of peace in the midst of it. I'm sure my knuckles were bare bone white as I grabbed that music stand with all that I could. No one in the congregation was any wiser, just the FBI agent and the the city police officer. I stood there looking with my eyes gazed at that back door, wondering if he was going to come through, wondering if there was going to be a massive tragedy in our midst. Scared for myself, scared for Tracy. Again, we'd been married for four years. I'm 26 years old. I don't know what I'm doing at this point just hoping that maybe if he did come in that this music stand would be the thing that would save my life. I finished and I walked off the stage and the rest of the service went on without any hitch. He never showed the threats, uh, the, the, the conversations that had happened in the midst of it. Uh, the, the, the word getting back to him kind of dissipated and he never showed. He never showed. Over the course of the next few weeks, it turned into months as the church began to get itself on its feet, as we had all experienced this tremendous amount of stress and anxiety and frustration and challenge. In the midst of it all, the elders came to me and they said, hey, we love you, but you're fired. We, we just need to turn the page. We need to get away from the pain and the frustration, the turmoil that has been. And, you know, like we know that you have sacrificed a lot for this church. We know that you have sacrificed your health. We know that you have sacrificed your marriage. We know that you've sacrificed your education. We know that you have sacrificed so much for this place, but we've just got to move on. And it's time. So thanks. Hey, if you want to still attend here, that'd be great. Awesome. 
That's fantastic. Thanks. Two years, it was, it was about a year and a half of this sort of scene unfolding. Of all of this to that point of like, hey, it's time for us to move on. I walked away with such a tremendous amount of anger, with such a tremendous amount of bitterness that continued to fester and and bore deep within my spirit. I I walked away with such a tremendous amount of hurt and pain, and I just wanted to blow the place down. Right? I just wanted to blow it down. I wanted to lay waste to that entire place and to the people that had hurt me there. I, I wanted to cause damage and wreak an absolute uh, untold amount of havoc. I wanted to share the story with everyone so that they could be on my side and so that they could revolt against the elders and what it is that they had done in this space and what it is that they had done to me. And I held on to this anger. I held on to this bitterness. I held on to this frustration and rage for two years. Two years of holding on to it, not letting a single bit out of it. Not even like a minute amount. Two years I held on to all of this pain. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I came across this passage in the midst of those two year in, in the midst of that two year season and remember specifically praying at the end of that nah god i'll pass i'll pass i i, I don't think they deserve that kind of forgiveness I don't think that they deserve me just being able to wash my hands and walk away i don't think they deserve to not remember what it is that they did. I don't think I can forgive and forget. That is absolutely ridiculous. There is no way. And I, nah, God, I'll pass. I'll pass. I enjoyed the anger too much. I enjoyed the pain and the hurt too much. I enjoyed the victimhood too much. I enjoyed all of the excuses that it gave me to be a jerk to other people too much, to let go of it, to forgive, and to walk away. The word forgiveness is a really fascinating word. It's a difficult word. It's a challenging word, but within this word forgiveness in the Hebrew, the root word is actually to dance, that the image of forgiveness is actually like this beautiful dance that happens in the midst of life. It's, if you've ever been to a ballet, if you've ever seen the ballet, if you've ever gone to the Nutcracker every single winter, 
You get to see these beautiful ballerinas dancing and twirling in such a graceful position, in such graceful ways as their arms move with this ease and as they look as if they're floating on air across the stage. There's a lightness to this dance. There's a lightness in this forgiveness. The rabbis talked a lot about this idea of dancing and forgiveness within the Midrash. They talked a lot about this dancing and this forgiveness in the root word of, 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 of the Hebrew. And how, how they talk about this dance is this glorious intermingling of people together as they push and as they pull from one another, but as they come together and as they wrap arms around one another and as they find this space in between them to come together anew. Forgiveness. To dance. And I didn't want it. I, I didn't want to dance. I didn't want this experience of lightness and of air. I was too grounded in the depth of my destruction and of their destruction. I was more happy to be trapped in a box of anger, in a cage of hatred and bitterness. I was more happy there than I was in forgiveness. Or so I thought. There was one day that I was reading a book and this quote jumped out at me by Lewis Smedes, who's a theologian. It, it jumped out and it wrapped its arms around my throat. Forgiveness is releasing a prisoner and realizing the prisoner was you. Forgiveness is releasing a prisoner and realizing the prisoner was you. All of a sudden, I recognized in that space and in that moment that, that my lack of forgiveness had trapped me in this cage of anger and of hatred and of bitterness, that I was locked inside of this box. And in the midst of that, I recognized that it wasn't me trapping them in the box, that I got to look at them in this cage of my own anger that was directed towards them, but rather my anger was directed at them and it was trapping me in this space, in this place in time that could not be redeemed, that could not be healed, that could not be fixed. Forgiveness is releasing a prisoner and realizing the prisoner was you. Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard said this in Provocations. He said, Jesus says, forgive and you will also be forgiven. Matthew 6, 14. That is to say, forgiveness is forgiveness. Your forgiveness of another is your own forgiveness. The forgiveness you give is the forgiveness you receive. If you wholeheartedly forgive your enemy, you may dare hope for your own forgiveness, for it is one and the same. Again, like I said, like this prayer is tough. It's difficult. It's challenging because there's a connection between forgiveness of others and forgiveness of ourself, that they are interlinked to one another, that they are actually connected deeply to one another. I didn't want to forgive. 
But there was one person in particular that was receiving the bulk of my wrath in my mind and in my heart. It wasn't the senior pastor who burst into the office and threatened to kill me. It wasn't the senior pastor that, that I thought maybe, more than likely, perhaps, was the one that broke into our house and walked through it. It wasn't the senior pastor that threw this like complete an, amount, an intense amount of fear in my body as I stood on the stage wondering if he was going to break through. It wasn't that senior pastor that I was angry with, the, the one that I needed to forgive, the one that I felt had wronged me deeply. It was the lead elder, the one who told me that I was fired in the midst of it all. It, it was the lead elder, the one who said, we're with you completely. You have nothing to worry about. We're brothers in this space. That what you need and what will happen to you will happen to us too. That we're together in this. That we're a family together in this space. And the moment that he broke free from that was the moment that all of the anger and all of the hatred and all of the bitterness rooted itself deep within me. And I said, ah, oh, I want nothing but horrible things to happen to you. I want nothing but the world to come crashing down on your head. That was the one person in the midst of it all that I found myself needing to find forgiveness for. The one person that if I could forgive him, everything would change. So a few months after reading that Lewis Smead's quote, I decided to give him a call. I, I just, just pick up the phone and dial and make a phone call. All I wanted to do was to tell him, I forgive you. I forgive you. I didn't expect to hear an apology from him. I had a really low bar of expectation going into this conversation. I didn't expect an apology. I didn't expect an excuse. I, I, I didn't even want it. All I wanted to do was say, I forgive you. This is what happened to me in the midst of this. And I forgive you. And whatever you have to say after that, that's fine. I forgive you. In the midst of that conversation, he was a little taken aback because he didn't realize or even recognize anything that had happened in that moment. And in fact, not only did he re not realize it or recognize it, he pushed back against it and said, that didn't happen. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And there was no apology. There was nothing. Like, none of the things that you might expect if your bar was a little bit higher, but it was a push against it. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Once again, I was wounded deeply in that moment, and I said, I, I, I forgave him again. I said, it's fine. I forgive you. It's okay. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move forward from this space. Henry Nouwen said this, the greatest human act is forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness stands in the center of God's love for us and also in the center of our love for each other. Loving one another means forgiving one another over and over again. 
in the middle of that call, and in the middle of that conversation, once again, I found myself having to forgive him again and again and again. I had to forgive the church as well in the midst of this, not, not just the church that I had been serving and had given myself to, but the church at large. I, I, had, I found myself walking down these different paths of bitterness against the church, and so I had to find myself forgiving the church as well, forgiving over and over and over. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, a, a professor of mine from way back in the day posted a picture of this church and of the facilities there and of talking of some of the great things that had just happened there. And I found myself recoiling. This 13 years later, found myself recoiling at the sight of that church and of everything that had transpired there. I felt it physically within my body and a disgust begin to raise up in my being. And I stepped back and I said, no, 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 no. I forgive them. I forgive them. Dr. King put it this way. He said, he said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. It is something that has to keep coming over and over and over again. Even 13 years later after the fact, you have to continue to forgive over and over and over again. In fact, Peter asked Jesus at one point, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus said 70 times 7. That you should continue to forgive over and over and over again because it's not an occasional act. The wounds and the hurts and the pains that have been driven deep into your spirit by others, those spikes of hurt, those spikes of pain that are driven deep within you, it doesn't heal overnight. The scars still remain. And even 13 years later, you can feel it in your being and on your body. And forgiveness has to happen again. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Now, and talked about it this way, forgiving does not mean forgetting. When we forgive a person, the memory of the wound might stay with us for a long time, even throughout our lives. Sometimes we carry the memory in our bodies as a visible sign. But forgiveness changes the way we remember. It converts the curse into a blessing. We no longer have to experience ourselves as the victims of events we had no control over. Forgiveness allows us to claim our own power and not let these events destroy us. It enables them to become events that deepen the wisdom of our hearts. Forgiveness indeed heals memories. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. This whole trope, this whole idea that we should just forgive and forget is so terribly damaging. It's so terribly hurtful. 
that I could erase this entire memory from my mind and just forget that it happened to me. To forget that, it, that, that one of the most formative experiences of my life didn't happen. The thing that changed the way that I look at the church and that changed the way that I understand God and changed the way in which I view Jesus and changed the way in which I understand people, changed who I see myself to be, that I could just forget that and let this most formative experience of my life just pitter away into nothingness. You see, I don't think that forgiveness means forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. It means to remember. Forgiveness means to remember what happened to you, but to remember it differently. Forgiveness indeed heals memories. It heals what happens to us. It creates a sense or a place where this healing can actually begin. And I would actually argue that forgiveness, not only does it claim a sense of power over the event as we release the prisoner within the, within the cage that was in fact ourselves, but actually forgiveness is the ability to wish someone well. That at the end of the day, that you're able to look at a person or an institution or an event and wish that thing well. That I can step back and look at that lead elder and I, I can wish him well. That I want no destruction to befall his house or him personally. That I want nothing terrible to happen to this church, but I want good things for them. I want good, healthy things to happen for them. I don't harbor bitterness or anger. That is true forgiveness to say, I wish you well. And it takes a lot of courage. And it takes a lot of gusto. And it takes a lot of healing within ourselves to actually be able to say that, to look in that direction and begin to say, I wish you well. But the first time we do it, no matter how hurtful and how painful it is, the first time that we do it is the hardest. And it gets easier and easier and easier as we go, but it never becomes a piece of cake. It never becomes the easiest thing, that it just flows out of my mouth. Well, I wish it well. <laughs> because there's still hurt and pain that is there. Forgiveness is wishing someone well. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay in relationship with them. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will trust them again. You see, trust has to be earned. Trust has to come again. But you don't have to put yourself in that position. You don't have to find yourself in that space. I will probably never walk through the doors of that church again. And I will be okay with that. I've driven past it a few times. And it's hard. It's hard. There's pain there. There's turmoil there. There's struggle there. That doesn't mean I have to be in relationship with them. But I do have to wish them well. 
I do have to hope good things for them. Because in the end, they are still my brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, a lot of this comes back to this moment, this space that still kind of boggles my mind. But it's of Jesus on the cross. And as he's on the cross, there are people down at the foot of the cross gambling for his clothes. They're playing dice. They're playing craps for his clothes, for his clothing. The members that are oppressing the people in the community around them, the soldiers that have lived in this space of oppression and of pain and of causing hurt, the ones that had physically nailed Jesus to this cross, and as he stands up there with his arms outstretched, nailed to this cross, looking down, he prays for them. And he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the act of his crucifixion, in the act of his execution, in the act of his murder, by the people who are doing it, who have the power to let him down off the cross and save his life. He prays forgiveness for them. He wishes them well in that space. You see, this prayer that Jesus asks us to pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. What I find so tremendously fascinating about this prayer is that it is a proactive prayer. It's a proactive prayer. It's not a prayer that says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask someone for forgiveness. It never puts us in a position to ask for forgiveness from another person. It is a proactive prayer of a people who forgive first. That, that lead elder would never have to be the one that would come to me and say, will you please forgive me for what I did? But it was me coming to him first to say, hey, I forgive you. The soldiers at the feet of Jesus' cross never having to say, hey, would you forgive us for what we're doing to you right now? But Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's a merciful position, a proactive prayer. A proactive prayer. In U2's song, it's, I really like U2, but in their song, Sleep, Sleep Like a Baby Tonight, which some of you that are new parents are like, that is a terrible title for a song. It says, dress in the colors of forgiveness. Dress in the colors of forgiveness. This is the proactive prayer. That we would find ourselves clothed in forgiveness as a people. That we would put on the colors of forgiveness all over us. And that we would be a proactive people that step into forgiving those who have sinned against us. Those that have wronged us. Those that have wounded us. Those that have caused pain in our lives, no matter how great or how small but that we would step into this realm and this space 
of forgiveness. And that we, not only as individuals, but that we as a community, we as a church, we as a people, would be dressed in the colors of forgiveness with one another. That we would be dressed in the colors of forgiveness in our relationships here in this space, but also in the spaces that we inhabit outside of here. Whether it's with our neighbors or with our co-workers or with our family members or with our friends or with anybody that we are in relationship with, that we would dress ourselves in the colors of forgiveness, that we would be proactive in our forgiveness of others, that we would be centered around love for each other as the love of God pours out on us. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you proactively need to forgive? Maybe it's someone that hurt you and wounded you yesterday, created a deep-seated wound, or last week, or a month ago, or a year ago, or five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Someone that created in you such a pain and such a hurt that you need to not only identify that person, but to proactively forgive them. And I think sometimes it can be a little difficult if it's been a long, long process of hurt. It's something that has happened over the course of decades even. Because we can't necessarily call them up or send them a text or an email and say, hey, I forgive you. I wish you well. We can't necessarily step into that easily. They become a straw figure in our mind. They become a, a caricature of what once was. I think then the same sort of thing applies. Write them a letter. Not that you actually send. Not that you actually ship off into the mail or an email that has no address. You just type their name into the top, just symbolically. But write it out. Write out that forgiveness, write out that wound, write out that hurt, and forgive them. And move forward into the next step, and the next step, and the next step, to continue to forgive proactively, to continually forgive over and over and over as a permanent attitude, not as an occasional act. This is the Jesus that we worship. This is the Jesus who went to the cross for us that we may have life. This is the Jesus who sacrificed himself for us to forgive us and on that cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is our King. Forgiveness is not easy. But together it is something that we can do, that we can achieve in community as a people. You see, we believe this, that you'll never walk alone. And even in the midst of some of our greatest hurts and pains, we don't have to do this alone. We have a people here that we can share our stories with, of people here that we can say, I need to forgive this person. Will you sit with me while I write the letter?
Will you sit with me while I talk to them on the phone? Will you pray with me as I enter into this relationship that is super fraught and super painful, but I need to release myself out of this cage of pain? We believe that you'll never walk alone. But we have to let people in in order to make that happen. And so this morning as we step into this space of communion, this space where we remember the body and the blood of Christ that was broken for us, that we may have life, that that we could actually step into forgiveness in this space. I want you to think through these two questions. What is God telling you right now? What is God saying to you right now? Perhaps it's a name or an event, an incident, a moment in time. What is God saying to you right now? What are you going to do about it? What is God saying to you right now? And what are you going to do about it? Perhaps write down that name on a note in your phone or on a piece of paper. Or perhaps take it a step further and actually just send them a text message that says, Hey, <laughs> enter into the conversation. Hey, what is God telling you right now? What are you going to do about it? And then when you're ready, in this space of forgiveness, in the space of being able to step into that place, I want to invite you to come forward to take from the bread, which represents Christ's body, which was broken for us. And to dip it into the juice, which represents his blood, which was shed for us, the cup of forgiveness. And then return back to your seats. And together, in a few moments, as a, as a church, as a family, as a people, we'll participate in this act of communion together. So when you're ready, please come. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.